When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'm on a call with Yuri Geller, but I'm not here to talk about telekinesis. I'm here to talk about a television hijack from 1977, when Vrilon from the Ashtar Command broke on to British airwaves. But there's a problem. See, I've run into some technical difficulties of my own. Oh dear, this is not going very well. To make this international call, I need to buy some minutes. Trouble is, I have no idea where I've left my card. Panicked, I bring in my girlfriend for some much-needed help. Then you can add international minutes. A hundred. Does it say Israel? Yeah, Israel. Cool. Add this extra. Why am I speaking to Yuri Geller? Well, I think I found my first suspect. I'm Tommy Trelawney. This is The Interruption, a podcast from Stack. Episode 4, Close Encounters. How Yuri Geller fits in is a long story, so I'm going to have to dial it back a bit. In the last episode, I met with two amateur investigators who go by Stardog and AP Strange. Like me, the duo had fallen down the interruption rabbit hole and had been working on this incident for years. To limited success, they had developed a bunch of theories, but no answers. But maybe that's because the answers were not made available to the public. What if there had been an official investigation by some sort of authority? Like, say, oh, I don't know, the Independent Broadcasting Authority, or IBA whose job it was to ensure television sets don't get hijacked. By strange voices, alien or otherwise. You still know, and your jobs may not come again. If anyone knew something about the interruption, it would have been them. I'm thinking the IBA must have logged a report into this incident. Perhaps it contained more information. Better yet, perhaps they discovered who was behind it. I'm speaking in the past tense because the IBA dissolved in the early 2000s. Having made a few freedom of information requests to Ofcom, the current regulator, I learned that all their old files had been gifted to the University of Bournemouth. I also learned that some stray documents were being kept in the National Archives in Richmond, a sleepy corner of West London. I spent a Saturday morning rummaging through dusty boxes, but no luck. Turns out, the bulk of the IBA's files were offloaded to the University of Bournemouth. They also had documents belonging to Southern Television, which was the TV station that got interrupted. I'm not sure if this report even exists, but chances are it'll be tucked away in those archives. It was time for a road trip. Or a rail trip. 
It's 6.30 a.m. and I'm on a train. At two hours, ten minutes, it's quicker than driving. With me on the train is my producer, Nikki. We're on the Early Bird Express from London Waterloo, so she's trying to catch up on some sleep. I had already had a coffee, so was wide awake. I spent the journey looking out the window, watching the scenery go by. It was like I was in a movie, or some sort of investigative podcast, where the protagonist mulls over the case at hand. I was thinking about that bizarre alien message and what it must have been like to witness it firsthand. I was playing that broadcast over and over in my head. You have but a short time to learn to live together in peace and goodwill. Small groups all over the planet are learning this and exist to pass on the light of the dawning new age to you all. You are free to accept. I was thinking about that slow, monotonous voice. Whoever is speaking is leaving clues behind for me. Age of Aquarius, Spiritual Evolution, Ashtar Command. The message contains these strange esoteric phrases. Phrases taken from UFO religions. Maybe the person behind it belonged to one of these groups and wanted to get their message across. Whoever it was and why they chose to do this, I don't yet know. But I'm hoping that a trip to the archives might prove my hunch right. Or at least give me a nudge in the right direction. In front of me was a little book I'd prepared for the journey. It contains records of supposed alien transmissions. It even has a chapter dedicated to the interruption. I was going to read it, but the caffeine was wearing off. So I continued to look out the window, pensively. As the train rolled through hills of the English countryside, I couldn't help but notice how the various stops were well suited to this story. The town of Woking is the setting of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. Published in 1897, it's one of the first books depicting an alien invasion. After leaving Basingstoke, I tried to spot the Hannington transmitter on one of the nearby hills. This was the broadcasting tower that was hijacked back in 1977. Note to self, visit this transmitter. I wanted to wake Nikki up and tell her all of my fun facts, but decided to let her sleep. The fun facts can wait. I once again looked back out the window. As we travelled through rural farmland, I soon began counting sheep. At 8.30am, I woke up. The train was coming into Bournemouth. I felt like it was the right time to wake Nikki up too. We left the station, grabbed a taxi, and headed to the university campus. It was a 20-minute drive, just enough time to tell Nikki and the driver about my thought-provoking journey. Okay, this way. <laughs> it's a shaky start. We're right. It's okay. We're, 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 we're getting there. Honestly. We found the right building, eventually. Waiting for us was Louise, the librarian, who took us into a small room with a pile of boxes they had kindly prepared for us. Each one contained files relating to the Independent Broadcasting Authority and Southern Television. We told Louise about this hypothetical report and how it most likely lay in one of these boxes. 
by the tone of her voice. Louise was surprised that we wanted to read those files. She told us they'd been gathering dust for years. No one had really looked through them. Well, until now. Closing the door behind her, we began sifting through the boxes. We figured out a system. Nikki took one half and I took the other. Each box was full of files. Pages and pages of old documents, financial records, program listings, audience figures, and so on. Well, this might be kind of interesting. I found a complaint letter, written by Southern's chief technical engineer, Basil Bultitude. What a great name. Dated the 3rd of October, 1967, it highlights the various technical problems at Southern Television. Attached is a logbook with all the recent faults. Visual disturbance over Southampton, loss of audio over Dover, it paints a sorry picture. Southern's broadcast were prone to disruption. Reports of disturbance continued well into the 70s. A lot were from Hannington, the transmitter that got hijacked in 1977. It seemed that this transmitter was particularly vulnerable to interference. Often these were accidental, the result of atmospheric conditions. This is something I'd learnt from Peter in episode 1. He was a viewer who saw the interruption live. From his home in Andover, he recalls a separate incident that took place on his TV screen. On one occasion, I saw BBC One with um, a clock with ARD written on it, um, floating slowly over the top of ARD being one of the German networks, uh, floating slowly over the top of it. And it was it, it's just in the background, this, this clock with ARD on it. I thought, wow, obviously good conditions tonight, which is the sort of thing radio hams are interested in. According to Peter, accidental signal interferences were common. He witnessed many firsthand. But what about non-accidental signal interferences? As an unmanned station, proper monitoring was practically non-existent. So was security. I have something, I think. Oh, really? So basically, there was... Nikki had found something too. It was a poster for a village hall meeting at the town of Corfe Castle in Dorset. In the poster, Southern was praised for its disturbance-free broadcasting. It was scheduled for the 29th of November, 1977, that's three days after the interruption. Talk about awkward timing. Basically, you've got to get like high-colour television for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was going to get ITV, BBC, but they needed to know whether their regional channel would be Western, because obviously it's somewhere between oh, the two, okay, right, Western right. or Southern. Is it so, not ironic that they called Southern the one that was largely technically satisfactory and the other one that it had interferences due to atmospheric conditions? And before that... Village Hall day, three days before, Southern had a really big, like, really big breach, yeah. interruption. Despite the television hijack mere days before, Southern was still being advertised as the disturbance-free option. From what I'd recently learned, this rosy description is very different to what was being said internally. The poster also says that the then head of the IBA's Engineering Information Service, Dr Boris Townsend, was going to be in attendance to answer any questions people may have. I suspect there would have been one question on everyone's lips. Was it true they'd recently been hijacked? And what's the age of Aquarius? Needless to say, it would have been pretty uncomfortable for those running the meeting. I'm speculating here, but it all adds another level to this hoax get the alien message heard, but also embarrass the authorities in the process. 
Two birds, one stone. Whoever did this must clearly have had a mischievous streak and were not afraid to break the law. But what had inspired them to go to such lengths to broadcast this alien message? They must have had a good reason to do this. We kept looking through the files, but found nothing that was directly related to the Southern Television interruption. No report had been made on the 26th of November 1977, or in the weeks and months that followed. We double-checked the files. Triple-checked them. Nothing. Oh, in the little, yeah, teletext. <laughs> oh, I can go into channels. What, is it an online TV? As you can hear, four and a half hours in that small room had us questioning our sanity. The Bournemouth archives didn't seem to have the report we were looking for. Perhaps it was being kept someplace else. Maybe someone had binned it. Or what if it never existed in the first place? I was beginning to think that by then they had stopped logging incidents. There was a good amount of record-keeping in the 60s, but by the 70s, they seemed to fizzle out. Eventually, Nikki and I agreed to call it a day. Should I do the same here? On the train back from Bournemouth, I caught up on that reading. In front of me was Out of the Stars by the Reverend Robert Short. He was a prolific American contactee and claimed to channel alien voices. If you're a fan of Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends, you may have heard of him before. This is Central Control. This is Central Control. Stand by. The reason why I'm reading this book by Robert Short is that he was familiar with the interruption. As I mentioned earlier, there's an entire chapter about it. Leafing through the pages, it's probably the best reading I found on this topic even if the author is convinced that Ashtar Command was actually behind it. In the chapter, he talks about a group that seems to have known about the incident before it happened. You've heard from one of them before, Sir John Whitmore. If you recall back in episode 2, he was the only person who entertained the idea that there was more to the alien message than the media had assumed. The people who did it would have had to have had a considerable knowledge of esotericism and the beliefs and so on of this field. This looks like something that was very knowledgeable and I personally believe that there's a lot more to it than was published in the Times. A former race car driver, Sir John was one of the UK's foremost experts in alien encounters, along with the likes of Rex Dutter. John had been invited on the London radio station LBC to comment on the television disturbance and also discuss his recently published book. You see, He'd been part of a team that had allegedly made contact with alien life. The book is very compelling and in fact goes into great detail about your contact with these extraterrestrial beings. When did you start making contact and how was it established? Well, this was three and a half years ago. Um, I should say that I've been involved, involved with the sort of uh, research into mind and um, psychological research and uh, other aspects of the paranormal, so to speak, for a very long time. But this particular project came up about uh, three and a half years ago. And I'm working with uh, Dr. Puharic, who was the man uh, who's a scientist who discovered Uri Geller in Israel a long time ago. In 1974, John travelled to Israel to meet with a scientist named Dr. Andrea Puharic. The pair had embarked on a rather unusual research project. They were looking into contactees, 
and whether human beings really could channel alien messages. One of their subjects was Phyllis Schlemmer, a medium who had been in contact with an alien called Tom. With Dr. Paharich's guidance, Phyllis would enter a trance and allow Tom to speak through her. The channeling sessions would be recorded via a tape deck and then written in a book. Many of these alien communications were warnings, urgent appeals for Earthlings to embrace peace and ditch nuclear weapons. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Sounds an awful lot like something Vrillon would say. All your weapons of evil must be the book is full of messages like this. There's talk of a new age, spiritual evolution, and some sort of great awakening that's on its way. I was having deja vu, and this was from 1974, three years before the interruption. There had to be a link to the television hijack. There had to be. Well, maybe there is. Listen to what John has to say about the way aliens can communicate with us Earthlings. If there were to be uh, voice communication with space, it would come either in the form of mediums in trance or in the form of uh, intervention on our media. Did you catch that? Intervention on our media. John alludes to an alien intervention on our media. And what does the media include? That's right, television. But that's not all. Listen to what John says next. And in fact, we've been involved in both of these. Okay, hold up. We've been involved in both of these? What does he mean by this? Is John saying that he'd been involved in an alien scheme to interfere with human media? Seems like it. Perhaps this will clear things up. It's back in the book I'm reading. The one by Reverend Short. The aliens make this announcement. We speak to the people of planet Earth. It is of great importance that you have the understanding that we come only in love and peace. We convey to Sir John Whitmore and to Dr. Puerich that we would interfere on your radio and television communication systems to relay when the civilizations are coming close to landing on your planet Earth. It is now in motion. I couldn't quite believe what I was reading. John Whitmore and his partner, Dr. Baharich, had apparently been given a suspicious heads up of an alien scheme to interfere with radio and television systems. I really didn't believe what I was reading when I saw a time frame for the event, between the 18th and the 22nd of November. Okay, it's not the 26th, but still, an alien warning, via the media, in November? Come on, what are the chances? If you haven't guessed this by now, I think that Sir John Whitmore and Dr. Andrea Piharic were involved in the interruption. Have I really just solved this case? On a train from Bournemouth? Well, not quite yet. I need more evidence that connects them to the incident, beyond some words on a page. I would reach out to them for a comment or an interview, but both of them have sadly since passed away. It was a long time ago, after all. If they really were behind it, as I'm thinking, I'm going to have to talk to somebody who is connected to their little research project. Anybody. Enter... Hey Tommy. Yuri Geller. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yuri Geller is linked to all this to the duo who I believe was behind that alien broadcast. How? Back in that LBC recording, when John talks about his UFO research with Dr. Puharic, there was someone else in the picture. Let me play that tape again. I'm working with Dr. Puharic, who was the man who's a scientist who discovered Uri Geller in Israel a long time ago. Uri Geller, the celebrity illusionist. As a parapsychologist, Dr. Paharich was always looking for real-life examples of the supernatural. While he was visiting Israel, he heard rumours of a man who could bend cutlery with his mind. Yuri Geller. To Dr. Paharich, Geller was no ordinary street magician. No, he believed that this young man had psychic powers. He had found a subject for his unusual line of research. He invited Yuri to his lab in America to undergo scientific testing. But Yuri was no guinea pig. He was a showman. In 1973, he appeared on the biggest show on primetime, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. The host handed him a spoon, wanting to see one of his displays. But things didn't go as planned. Okay, gently lift. I'll hold it here. Gently lift up, you see, if, if it's bent there. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. It's, oh, it's bending more. Can you see? It is very much bent. I can see. Now where? <laughs> it was very straight. Now, if you, no, it was straight. Uh, I, I hope the camera can uh, focus on this. Oh, it's... it's. Yeah. The spoon is completely straight. Even Yuri admits it. John, we are back. Your Uri was telling me you, you, you don't feel, what, strong tonight? I don't Is that... feel strong. It's not all tonight. Right now I'm, feel, I'm feeling being pressed and then I can't... Well, I'm not trying to press you, I really not. Uh, you no, know, you're only I'm... telling me, well, will you try that or that? Well, I thought that was the idea of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, no, I'm not, no, I'm not trying to push you down. 
Despite the humiliation, Yuri continued to appear on TV. In fact, the incident seemed to have made him more famous. There was now some added controversy to him. This controversy would follow him, from his close friendship with Michael Jackson to how he sued Nintendo for allegedly making a Pokemon in his likeness. It's Kadabra, by the way, the psychic type who wields a, <laughs> a silver spoon. Despite the controversies, the discovery of Yuri Geller was Dr. Baharich's greatest achievement. In 1974, he released Yuri's official biography, where he reveals more of his amazing abilities, including how he'd been given his powers by extraterrestrials. That's right, aliens. To Dr. Baharich, Yuri Geller is the alien messiah. You'll have to read the book. Okay. So if Yuri had been involved in Dr. Baharich's research, including the alien bits, then he might have known about the interruption in 1977. By strange circumstance, a celebrity spoon-bending illusionist was the only thing between me and the truth. Maybe he wasn't involved, but he knew the people that were. Putin, Putin, there's a website out there that gives an example that if a nuclear bomb, not a big one, a fast one, hits Scotland, 155,000, 200,000 people will perish. This is serious stuff. And I have a warning for you, Putin. I urge you all to read my warning, all of you. And I'm serious about it, very. Yuri Geller is, and has always been, quite out there. Case in point, his Twitter. When I found him, he just posted a peculiar video. Yuri's standing there. He's angry. In the background is a picture of Vladimir Putin and a nuclear explosion. Published alongside the video is an open letter. It's a message to Putin directly and a threat. If a nuclear strike hits Scotland, then Yuri will have no option but to unleash the full force of his powers. He closes with an unusual detail. I'll read it out. There are also forces far, far greater than you can imagine that I am sure will intervene to prevent you from starting a nuclear war. They are watching and waiting, and they will stop you. You have been warned, Yuri Geller. Reading this for the first time, I genuinely felt a shiver. I knew the they Yuri was talking about. The same they that would intervene on a British television station. How do you get a celebrity interview? Especially when it's on a subject so... strange. I couldn't reach him via Twitter, so I wrote into the Yuri Geller Museum in Israel. Yes, such a place exists. I wrote that I wanted to speak with Yuri Geller, if he was available. The same day, the museum got back to me. On the other end was Yuri himself. He not only responded to me directly, but he agreed to talk with me. He casually sends over a phone number and suggests we start WhatsApping. At this point, I'm just going with it. I now have Yuri Geller in my contacts. I asked him when he was free to call. He sends me a voice note. Hey Tommy, um, thanks, nice to hear from you. I can't give you a time, you'll just call me, catch me whenever next week. I'll, um, later on, I'll bombard you with a few interesting things. You have a nice evening and uh, stay safe. Bye. He was in Israel at the time. And you've already heard me struggle to set up the international call. This is either a chargeable call that requires credit or you don't have an active plan. To get going again, buy a plan or top up credit at voxy.co.uk. 
The line was now working. Our conversation can finally begin. Had you heard of the interruption and were Sir John Whitmore and Dr. Baharich behind it? Yes, Tommy. So, so uh, let me continue. Yes. Um, g- going back to the very early 70s, actually, and they sent Puharich, Andre Puharich, to test me in Israel first, just to make sure that, you know, what I do is real. And while Andrea was here, we experienced amazing things that even up to today, I have no, no, I I just don't understand how these um, uh, things happen to us. Can you go into a little bit about what you saw, the things you saw? Um, I think that for you, to extract that information, you should actually read his book. Oh. It's called it's called Uri, and you can find it, and you can actually read it on my website if you go down to click on books. The book is free to read. Um, I can't go into it. It's too complicated. It's too deep. It's too involved. But I believe that what I have seen is was real. Mm. There were moments when I thought, wait a minute. Maybe Dr. Poharich somehow is fooling me. Maybe he's got a way of creating sound out of a tape recorder with no tape in it. So I myself was in the beginning skeptical, but then I had to accept um, the phenomena. What I was seeing and hearing was real. Mm. I um I actually have I've read that book and it's it's absolutely fascinating. Um, it's a really really good read. I've also read your autobiography at the uh, at the same time, um, and something that strikes me that he said was Dr. Baharich believed that you um, were gifted these powers that you have from extraterrestrial entities. Well, he be, he actually truly believed that. From what I read about Yuri, he was reluctant to confirm whether Dr. Baharich's beliefs about him were actually true. The belief that Yuri had been gifted his powers by aliens. But he didn't quite deny it either. He hadn't gotten round to talking about the interruption yet. But he was having a fun time sharing his alien anecdotes. I, I look to the best of At the same time, I wanted to hear them. About 50 years ago. Yes, yes. But, and then, then, of course, the voices we heard were identifying themselves as Spectra and Hoover, which to me sounded like a Hollywood name, but mm. that's, hey, that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, so I just went with the flow with Andrea. So no doubt there is some type of a higher intelligence that is watching us, that is absorbing or observing us and I definitely believe that in the coming 20 years, maybe up to 60 years, there will be a tangible landing. Do you think? There will, a, you know, a, a UFO will land here or something with extraterrestrial will, will happen that will, you know, show the world that, hey, we're real. Here we are. I could feel the conversation derailing. You know, Oscar Wilde, a hundred years ago, said something so perfect for me. He said, there is only one worse thing in life than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. There is no such thing as bad publicity. As long as you spell my name correctly, thank you very much. 
I hadn't asked him about the controversies, but he seemed eager to address them. So, so that's uh, that's my belief system. This is why I'm still on the cover of uh, you know the tabloids in in Britain, in Japan, yes. all over the world, uh, because I truly believe that they do exist. Um, I mean, we'll be foolish to to say that the universe, the cosmos is empty. There's no life. No, there's no such thing. So I'm a great believer. Anyhow, Tommy, listen, before I sign off with yes. you, um, tell me a little about yourself. How old are you? This I was not expecting. I meant to be the one asking the questions. Oh, um, so I am, I'm 24 years old. Uh, my and, oh wait 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 let me ask the questions oh yes <laughs> and um, did you finish university yes I did um, what I... did you what was your subject so I have just done my masters at Cambridge which was um, Old Testament theology Yuri continues to ask me for my information where do my parents live what are my ambitions in life Yuri had turned the tables he was now interviewing me perhaps unwisely. I gave him my personal details. Having heard what he needed, he offered me some advice. Let, let me give you some little advice since you're young and you're still now, you're motivated and you're inspired yes. to be successful. Remember these words. If yeah. you can go there with your mind, you can go there with your body. Whatever you can visualize, Tommy, you can materialize yeah, that, that's actually really resonated with, with, with what's going on with me. So, so thank you so much for the, uh, the advice. Thank you. You're, you're welcome and a big hug from me. Positive energy. Yes, likewise. Whatever, whatever I told you, if it's good quality, you can use it in your, you know, your podcast or whatever you do. Perhaps it was his psychic charms. But he'd managed to hijack my podcast. I'll, I'll stay in touch with you. Every yes, time I yes. do something interesting, I'll let you know. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Okay, okay. well... Take care. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Oh, my gosh. I am very nervous. <laughs> I did it. Um, not really sure what I found. Um, I was a bit too flustered um, from earlier. Okay, cool. The conversation I'd had with Yuri was less about the interruption and more about himself and his alien encounters. I had mentioned the incident at the start of the conversation, but it went over his head and the discussion went elsewhere. In the back of my mind, I didn't think he was even familiar with the event. With Yuri being the last link to Sir John and Dr. Baharich, I'd feared that I'd reached a dead end. In the rush of excitement of finding this lead on the train, I'd missed some important details. Firstly, we have that audio of John commenting on the incident itself. Although he believes in the spirit of the message, he doesn't go much further. Plus, if it was him, why would he be on the radio talking about it? Secondly, there's the date. The time frame of the 18th to 22nd of November doesn't have a year attached. It might not have been 1977. The doubts were creeping in. It was an astonishing coincidence, but it could just be that. A coincidence. I began to suspect it was a case of an infinite monkey theorem. It's the idea that if you have a room of monkeys hitting random keys on a typewriter, given enough time, one will eventually write out the complete works of Shakespeare. 
It was only a matter of time until I stumbled across talk of an alien intrusion on the television. In this case, I stumbled across Sir John Whitmore and Dr. Baharich. Yes, they talk about the threat of nuclear war and a new age of alien enlightenment, but so do other UFO religions. I'd arrived at my first dead end. It was a new feeling, and not a nice one. I'd got so excited at the promise of answers, only to be thrown back to square one. I was starting to see why this case had remained unsolved for 45 years. The incident was such a long time ago, whoever was involved might not even be around anymore. I also realised that fixating on the alien message was leading me down a very specific path. The kind of path that takes you to Yuri Geller. I still think whoever did this was from one of those UFO religions. But maybe I'm starting at the wrong place. I was focused on the motive. What if I paid attention to the method? If I found out how this was done, maybe I can find out who did it. I was reminded of an offhand remark that Professor Michael Rothstein had made, all the way back in episode 2. If they had to hook up with somebody with electronical skills, I don't know if it, or if they had them themselves, but I think it's an attempt to distribute an idea, a notion that is credible and trustworthy. There was this whole other angle that I had not yet explored. How? How does someone manage to hijack a television station? If they had to hook up with somebody with electronical skills. Hooking up with somebody with electronic skills. And it's probably yeah. loft. It's probably in someone's loft now where it's been for, for all those years. But that's next time on The Interruption. The Interruption is a Stack production, written and presented by me, Tommy Trelawney. It was produced and co-written by Nikki Anderson. Sound design by Tom Wally. Executive production for Stack came from Luke Moore, Charlie Morgan and John Teague.